Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining me today, folks, is Jennifer Quintero, the founder and director of the Sensiba Center for Sustainability at Sensiba San Filippo. Jennifer, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. It's a pleasure to have a former guest back on the show today, yes. which yes. means a lot has changed over the past couple of years. And we want to, yeah. of course, you know, learn about what you've learned, what, what Sensiba San Filippo is doing in the accounting world and where this impact movement is going. So Jennifer, just a quick overview for our folks listening to this. Talk, share a little bit about yourself and about the company uh, you're working for. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, um, I am the founder and director of the Sensiba Center for Sustainability, which is kind of the first holistic sustainability practice at an accounting firm. So Sensiba San Filippo, First and foremost is a traditional accounting firm, tax, audit, consulting, um, and we're a certified B Corp accounting firm. And that's actually where my passion for this all started was taking my firm through B Corp certification and falling in love with the process and all the things that uh, went into it. And I think that's kind of what you and I talked about in, you know, the show, what, two, three years ago now, um, was I was starting um, a B Corp certification practice, which no other accounting firm had at the time. And um, it's kind of snowballed in a great way from there. 
So uh, an accounting partner came up and asked, uh, you know, he goes, there's this thing called SASB that I want to get my certification in, this FS, FSA uh, certification. And maybe you and I can come together and bring this B Corp and SASB thing together for a practice. And I was like, okay, that's great. We put a business plan together and presented it to all the partners. They loved it. And um, a few weeks later after that, I was sitting in our managing partner's office one afternoon and I started to um, talk about how this could be a holistic practice that does all sorts of things and not just compliance, not just certification, and that we could be a resource for moving the impact needle forward for anywhere within a company. And I started rattling off all of this stuff and... At the end of that, he picks up his, his phone and his notebook to head off to the next meeting. And he goes, Jennifer, this all sounds great. Go build it. And walks out of the room. And so I kind of sat there shocked going, okay, I can do this. <laughs> and um, first off, of course, you know, research to see what else other people were doing, if there is anybody else out there doing this. And there wasn't. And... So the big four, they've got um, some great compliance programs and, um, you know, they do the audits and whatnot and can help you do, you know, carbon emission calculations and whatnot. But nobody's really doing the full holistic soup to nuts um, from benchmarking and assessing to pulling together the full strategy and action plan and implementation steps to then the articulation piece to go back and tell that story to really help clients mitigate any litigate, you know, any uh, greenwashing claims or brand wagoning claims um, that that you start to see a lot of companies having in the media today. So that's been kind of the evolution of what we're doing, and we launched the center back in um, 2020, the end of 2020. So it's uh, been an exciting ride since then, and a lot has evolved in the past two years in the sustainability and ESG world. Yeah, and, and that's a, a lot of responsibility that you're taking on. And I'm sure, you know, like, like from an entrepreneurial cap and mindset, like what are some of the takeaways just from building a business within the business that you've uh, learned from? Oh, goodness. Great question. Um, you know, that, that you kind of have to give yourself a little grace, <laughs> you know, things aren't going to happen overnight. Um, and that you shouldn't try to do everything yourself, pull in other people with different skill sets. Um, you know, when I sat down to build this, you know, all of these different services that I could think of that would fit into a practice like this, there was stuff that I could do that I could get certified in to do. There were stuff that I had colleagues that could do, you know, some of these things, but then there was stuff I had to recognize that we had no business touching as an accounting firm, like helping a company retrofit their building to be net zero. Um, you know, so there's like, just, we're not a construction company, you know? Um, and we don't want to be a construction company and, and, you know, do that sort of thing. So recognizing that and trying to build partnerships um, to bring those services to our clients. Um, and, you know, that is, that was the big one is recognizing that, yes, I can do it all, but should I be doing it all? <laughs> Are there's others that I can leverage that have um, their own gifts and talents that could really do certain things better than I can? 
you know, it's interesting. And, and, you know, a lot of folks listening to this episode are in similar boats and they're in respective boats. Mm-hmm. They're in a, in a growth role in their organization or they're growing their companies. And, you know, I think this is going to be a really helpful episode for them, especially if they're not as immersed into the arena, the impact arena, which maybe you and I are. So um, let's let's break down a, a few of those terms for the audience, Jennifer, that yeah. you've, you've thrown out. One was SASB. Another mm-hmm. one was the B Corp certification. Um, yeah. And just let's let's start with those two and, and you know, break it down for the layman like myself and others, what they are and how they correlate with just general accounting principles. Right. Um, so first off, I think I threw out the term ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance. Um, and uh, those are kind of the metrics that companies can measure their performance by. Um, and they're they're un, kind of under the the main umbrella term of sustainability. Sustainability these days is kind of an umbrella a term that a lot of stuff falls under. And um, you know, there's a lot of frameworks that we now have. So it's typically been hard for folks to get their fingers around all of the non-financial data within a company. And all of that non-financial data is technically ESG data. So now that we have all of these wonderful frameworks that are out there, like B Corp, like SASB, um, that we can now measure all of that non-financial data. And people are wondering probably why an accounting firm is doing this. Well, we've been measuring financial data since like the 13th century. It only makes sense that we would measure the non-financial data too. And so there is a nonprofit B-Lab that actually developed a assessment framework for B Corp certification or B Corporation certification. It's a, a third-party stamp on a company to showcase that they are, um, you know, the highest level of social and environmental performance with high levels of accountability and transparency. Um, and uh, the, the B Corp assessment is actually going through this huge overhaul. B Labs is working with uh, another framework, uh, GRI, or the Global Reporting Initiative, um, to bring those two assessments together a, a little closer so that, um, you know, the, the five areas that a normal B Corp assessment had will now transition to 10 areas. And for a B Corp assessment, you have to score right now, currently, 80 points overall in the whole assessment in order to submit for a review with B-Lab. Now they're gonna have that you need to do a certain point level in each of the 10 areas so that you're getting at least a minimum score in each of those 10 areas because currently right now, the way the assessment is written, if you're low in points in one area, you can kind of make it up in other areas. So they want to make sure that there's at least a minimum threshold in all areas that all B, B corps fall under. Um, so it's an exciting time. They haven't they haven't exactly um, shared what those new um, scoring metrics look like. Um, so we're we're all on our edge of our seats, but it's something that will come into play in 2024. Um, and then the SASB is the um, it is the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. Um, and it now rolls up under, uh, and it's a framework, and it's uh, 77 different industries, and it has what is material metrics for each of those industries. Um, and it now rolls up into this brand new organization that just came out um, last November, so it's 
a year old now, um, the ISSB, the International Society of Sustainable, uh, or excuse me, the International Sustainability Standards Board. Um, <laughs> I'm getting my organizations mixed up. Um, but now this, this board um, was created by the oversight body for accounting, um, the IFRS, and um, that they um, basically set all the standards globally for accounting. And they said, hey, you know, this sustainability thing, it's going to be a thing. Hmm. Um, we should probably have an oversight board to really make sure all of these metrics have some coherency. And so they established the ISSB. And from there, they started rolling in um, frameworks into the ISSB like SASB. Um, and so it, what's really fantastic about all of these frameworks suddenly starting to come together is that it was a little wild west for a long time. So there was a frameworks, they each measured their own thing. And, um, you know, you could have a score in one that is quite different than a score in the other, kind of like a personal FICO score. So if you went to Experian and you were 400 and then you went to, to um, you know, the other one and it's 800, how are you supposed to get a car loan? with, you know, that disparity. So ESG scores have been kind of like that. So now that we're getting some consistency and continuity and measurement with the ISSB, and I think we're going to talk about uh, what the SEC has come out with, um, there's a lot of exciting things uh, where things are starting to become a little less muddy, um, which I know investors are really excited about. Well, thanks for clarifying that. And I think that's a great like way to frame it. It's like, it's like a credit score is what, mm -hmm. is what essentially is going to happen to you listening as a business owner. This is why it's so important to get ahead of the curve now. And I, I like to think of this as like layers um, of, of mega trends and, and, and forces that affect one another. You know, if you're a business the reason you may want to do it at the business level is for recruiting, right? It's like you want better, you know, employees. Um, you know, it's it's good for your brand, your marketing, things such as that. But when you do that, you attract investors, right? And investors want companies who are looking at businesses who are practicing these standards. But what's also like what what's encouraging investors to do that is the federal government, right? And the federal government coming down and saying, hey. You know, we're going to give better discount rates and loan terms to organizations who have a better ESG credit score. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what is driving government? You know, it's, it's the climate. It's a climate change. It's, it's activism. It is fundamental changes that our society is going through. And so the investors and businesses and employees that understand that, you know, are, are forward thinking and far-sighted mm -hmm. leaders. So I just want to kind of set the context for someone listening to this episode to go, why is this important for me? And mm -hmm. if you can think about all the tailwinds that are really forcing this movement to the brink, um, you can start to comprehend why it's important to you today. Now, with that being said, let's go to now the government side and the SEC regulations. Right. This is new to me. So enlighten me on yeah. what's going on in, in that world. So, um, you know, when you look at a company and their, their risk, um, you know, the World Economic Forum came out a few years ago and say, said the top five risks for any organization are ESG related. So this is all about mitigating risk. And, um, you know, when investors are looking at this data, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at what is what is the risk of this company? 
So, you know, they're looking at these financial documents and they're looking at all the financial risk, but now investors are wanting to get that, the, the S and the E of the ESG on these documents in order to get almost like a due diligence report on how, how risky is this company. So the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, actually came out and proposed new rules. And these new rules basically say um, that companies, public companies, will be required to disclose their climate uh, climate disclosures or climate data with their financial reporting. So um, I know a lot of companies are probably listening going, well, I'm privately held. That doesn't apply to me. Here's where it's going to apply to you. So in reporting these numbers, so the first couple of years, they're only going to require, so there's three scopes. I should back up. There's three scopes pretty much that they're going to require companies to report. Scope one and scope two, fairly easy to calculate. Um, and, you know, uh, that's what they're going to require for the first couple of years. And that's more of the, the direct emissions of a, of a company. Scope three it's like the kitchen sink of all scopes <laughs> in, in GHG calculations. Um, and it mainly is supply chain. So when you think about all the small to medium sized businesses that are a part of a public company's supply chain, once a public company starts digging into their supply chain and asking their suppliers to report their numbers, that's where things start to get interesting because if companies suddenly can't report up the supply chain what their numbers are, they may not be a supplier anymore. So companies really need to think about this and get ahead of the game because one, we know that when a government comes out with regulations for public companies, at some point it's going to trickle down and become regulations for private companies. But this is really going to hit a lot of folks by surprise because they're not, um, they're thinking, oh, it's just public companies. I don't need to think about this yet. Um, and then suddenly they're gonna start getting these requests from um, folks in their upstream of their supply chain. Um, and it's gonna catch them a little off guard. Sure. So it would behoove folks to start measuring now um, so that you can kind of see, get a, get a baseline of where you're starting. Um, I always say it's kind of like losing weight. You know, when you step on that scale for the first time, it's not a number you're very fond of. You want to report the number after you've worked on it for a couple of months down the road. Um, and so GHG calculations and, and your footprints kind of like that. Um, when you first calculate it, you're going to be amazed um, at what your footprint is. Hmm. And then you can start looking at all the ways that you can reduce um, and mitigate some of that footprint. And then, you know, uh, what you can't reduce, you can offset. I know offsets are kind of controversial right now, um, but it's um, you know one way for stuff you can't offset um, or reduce, I should say. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of big news, and they have um, started to whisper about uh, coming out very soon with um, human capital disclosures. So the SEC will not only require you to do your climate data, but human capital disclosures. Mm. So now you've got the E, the S, and the G all on one report. And we don't really know quite exactly what those metrics are, but think along the lines of like diversity numbers and attrition rates and pay gap analysis ratios, things like that. Um, so that's going to be, these documents are going to turn into some pretty cool, robust 
kind of due diligence documents, if you will. And it's going to affect investors. It's going to affect how your banks look at your business, just if they want to loan you money or not. Um, it may affect your business's insurance rates. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to look at with this and it's, it behooves folks to get ahead of the game. And, and for the business owners, geez, you know, I haven't taken any of these steps to, to address these issues right now. I mean, how soon is this going to take action? What is the legal process? Is it on a federal basis? Is it on a state by state basis? And, and, you know, who is kind of pushing for what right now? Like, do you have any insights into what's going on? In, in yeah. The so the so the SEC rules are federal, so it's it would be nationwide. Um, and those are 2024-2025. And, you know, but, you know, as things start to get pushed, it might get pushed out a little further. So the, the rules are currently proposed. It's mm. not written law yet. Um, but we expect it's going to come very soon. Um. Now, the other one that's going to catch a lot of people off guard that could come a little bit sooner um, is California State actually has some things in the works. Um, California State Bill 260 that was introduced to legislature by Senator Scott Wiener, um, and it actually went to vote this past year and, and lost by one vote. Um, and they basically told him, go back, tweak this, and reintroduce it next year. Um, and they gave him a list of things that he should possibly look at to tweak. And I have a feeling once he does that and puts it back through, it's going to pass. And it basically says, very similar to the SEC rules, um, it's any company that is in the U.S. or U.S. territories that um, is $1 billion, with a B, billion dollars in revenue or more, um, has to disclose your climate data. And this is public and private. So any business, a billion dollars or more. So, and then once again, you get this trickle down effect that is, you know, hitting small to medium size. And this is for any company in the U.S., U.S. territories that have, that either is based in California or does business in California, any company that has any nexus in California. And so that's going to hit a lot of businesses that are outside of California by surprise. Because now that we've got this kind of global economy, right, where, you know, everybody has sales in other states, it's not just your own local town anymore, um, or they have, you know, employees that they're paying um, that they might have in California, even though they're based in Idaho, per se, mm -hmm. you know, so there's, there's lots of different things that are going to hit companies kind of off guard. Um, and those rules right now, they were, it was proposed um, measuring in 2024, reporting in 2025. Mm -hmm. So um, this this I expect will um, particularly because we just we just um, Gavin Newsom is up for an, a you know got reelected uh, this past uh, Tuesday for uh, governor and he's very very hot on a lot of this um, sustainability and ESG and green initiatives um, anything that can help with the climate and so uh, we expect that once this gets through legislature he will sign it. Um, you know, with, without question, pretty much. Um, and what's interesting about this is a lot of this same type of um, climate disclosures uh, requirements has already been implemented in the UK. 
So um, the UK was measuring in 2021 and reporting in 2022. And so we're starting to see some of the first reports coming out of the UK with this climate data mixed in with the financial reports. And it's, it's kind of interesting to seeing that happen. And I was just about to ask you, are there any other examples around the world where it's like involuntary, where you do have to report on it regardless of uh, your stance? Yeah. And, and the UK, yeah, the yeah. UK started it. Um, there's lots of stuff on the books that are going to probably get voted in, um, in 2023 for the, for the EU specifically around doing, uh, this type of reporting. Um, and, and I, what I like about the EU's regulations is some of the stuff, um, where larger companies have to ask their suppliers for numbers. If their suppliers don't have the numbers because they're too small to even attempt to measure, the burden is on the larger company to help them measure. Hmm, right. So that's, I think that, that is pretty cool. Um, that help build, that help builds a really nice, um, ecosystem of, um, you know, larger businesses helping the smaller businesses. Well, I think this would be also be very valuable for a lot of investors, uh, that are in these bigger organizations. I mean, there's probably a big sigh of relief on the other end of this conversation where a small business owner goes, Oh, geez, good. Not, not, you know, under a billion dollar companies, I'm, I'm in relief. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, if you're trying, you know, if your growth strategy is build it to a certain point and get acquired or sell to, you know, one of these behemoths, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for these ESG oriented or impact oriented businesses that they can acquire. And so they can, you know, say that you know, this is on their books as well as that this is integrated into their strategy as a tuck-in opportunity. So, you know, again, this is still, it starts in California, it kind of moves throughout the rest of the world. And this is really what's happening on the day to day. Now, Jennifer, got to be honest with you, you know, I was just at a conference in SOCAP and um, social capital markets for those you know uh, listening out there in San Francisco. And the one thing that I've got to say just really irritates me is how divisive this impact ESG conflict is. Um, a lot of people on the impact, which I consider just like the smaller impact organizations are fed up with ESG. How did McDonald's uh, get the number one ranking for ESG right. in the world. What has it done for you lately is yeah. the question. Why, uh, yeah. how, how do you see this? Obviously, obviously we're in the, in the wild, wild west right now, but how do you see this this playing out? Yeah, and, and a lot of people were quite uh, confused when Tesla got dropped um, from, from, the, from the ESG exchange. So folks have got to realize there's a difference between um, an ESG score a company's ESG performance and an, and social impact. So while Tesla, their main business model is very, um, you know, climate impact, McDonald's has ESG performance, right? They've got their metrics and they're doing all of the things within those metrics and, you know, trying to increase in some areas, decrease in other areas. Um, so there really is, you know, the impact, the social impact, um, environmental impact business model versus ESG performance. And I think that's what we're really seeing the difference, right? Is that yes, McDonald's, um, you know, isn't, isn't a, an impact company, right? But they're getting um, touted for the lot of work that they're doing within the ESG metrics and standards world. 
um, where they're they're really trying to turn their business into into using their business um, as a force for good. Um, and then you know you've got you know these other businesses that while they have an impact model, um, maybe they're not doing some of the ESG metrics appropriately, right? Um, so you know so the there's two great examples of like Tesla and McDonald's um, that really, that hopefully that illustrates that point. And, and let's go a little bit further into that for folks who are like, wait, I thought it was the same thing. Uh, help me understand what impact means. Could you just, in your own terms, Jennifer, kind sure. of for our audience what ESG is and then what is, what is impact? Yeah. So um, impact is, so we'll take, we'll use Tesla as, a, as an example. Um, their business, their product basically impacts climate, right? They're trying to take emissions and CO2 off the roads, right? And any of the vehicle emissions. Um, and so their product is um, a green product, if you will. So that is their business model is to build this particular product that addresses something that is impacting the world. And then you've got another company, McDonald's, that um, they're looking at the inner workings of their organization, right? They're looking at, um, are they paying their employees well and a living wage? Are they, do they give them good benefits? Um, how are they impacting their local community? You know, how are they impacting people that make less than $2 a day? Um, you know, what are what is the carbon footprint of their organization? What does their packaging look like? Um, I'm sure some folks have started to notice some of the some of the packaging um, on their McDonald's meals going from that, you know, little cardboard red thing that used to hold the French fries to this like little paper. You know, they're starting to look at their packaging and change their packaging. Mm. Um, you know, they also teamed up with Starbucks to, um, you know, uh, try to redesign the coffee cup. They each, you know, kind of crowdsourced their own R&D money and came together and worked together um, to make a compostable coffee cup um, so that they could each have that. Um, so, you know, so they're doing things that are good ESG metrics or environmental social governance metrics. Um, and that's why they're getting those high scores, because when you're evaluating a company, that's what ESG metrics look at, mm. not just the business model, but the actual, how do you treat your employees? How, you know, how do you treat your surrounding community? Um, you know, what are you doing in, in the world right now that, um, will, not impact the environment, right? Is your is your packaging going to be fully compostable? You know, are you trying to eliminate plastic in your supply chain? Um, you know, things like that. Um, so you can already start to see how Tesla, they've had some issues with their staff. You know, there's lots of, you know, articles and reports out there where they've had, you know, some staffing issues. Um, and, you know, there's, there's questions about, um, you know, the pieces of their product and how it's going to go back into the, back into the earth and kind of, you know, is, is that good with the batteries and whatnot? So that while the business model is eco-friendly, um, you know, maybe the ESG metrics are maybe not as, you know, impactful. <laughs> right. Right. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. And I think 
where, where you're going with this is like ESG is like an investment risk lens. You're looking mm-hmm. at things as from an investment standpoint. Do you do the right. good practices? Do you have exactly. good practices? And then the impact company is, and the way I've heard it explained is like it's if you were to remove the impact piece of or component of the uh, company from the company, mm-hmm. it would cease to exist or not maintain its competitive advantage. So Tesla. In this yeah. case, it'd just be another car company if it if it wasn't right. Electric. Exactly, okay. exactly. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and, and you know, in that case, they're two completely different things. It and it's it's unfortunate that you know you're pinning one against the other because I think good is good. At the end of the day, um, now where's the opportunity? You you work with a lot of different businesses who are asking a lot of different questions like. What are, one? What are you hearing right now from the clients uh, who are traditionally not in this space, but looking toward it? And then, as an investor, like, where's the? Where do you see the opportunity in this space uh, for traditional dirty companies that can really make a, a difference and a change and and grow their margins? Great question. Um, you know, I think definitely a lot of business owners want to go this route, but they're overwhelmed on where to start. And, you know, it's, it's this huge elephant and, and how do I start this one bite of a time, one bite at a time, you know? Um, and a lot of companies and business owners think that they have to do everything all at once. And it's like, okay, no, you know, yes, you want to measure your climate. We'll just start with scopes one and two, and then slowly start to add all of the things that are in scope three. Cause like I said, scope three is a kitchen sink. Um, and you're not going to be able to get all of the things of scope three, your first couple times out. So just slowly start, you know, looking at those calculations, um, you know, and, and that is a great way to start because that's what you're going to have to report on probably first is your, is your carbon footprint. Um, and then start looking at and measuring some of your other numbers. Like when is the last time you did a look at your employees and their wages, um, and looked at, are they making a living wage, not just minimum wage, a living wage, which is, you know, the wage that people have to be paid in order to live comfortably in their area. Um, not comfortably, but just live in their area. You know, minimum wage is, you know, supposed to be that, but it's not, um, in many cases, you know, you look at the San Francisco Bay area and, um, you know, I think, what are we $15 an hour now? Um, and you know, who can live in the Bay area for $15 an hour comfortably, right. Without financial stress. So, you know, living wage is very important. Um, and, and looking at, um, you know, your employee benefits and, you know, how are you, how are you treating your employees and just start, start with little things, um, here and there. And if you want to, um, B, B labs has the B Corp assessment and it is free to anyone to go download and it will really give you a nice look at all the different areas of your organization and the things that you could possibly do. So you could go through that assessment and just kind of look at one, give yourself your own benchmark, you know, go through and kind of say, okay, I think this is this and this is that. And this is kind of how I score right now. Um, but then it gives you, it has you look at areas in your company that you probably haven't even looked at um, since you started the company. Um, and a lot of policies and procedures that might live in executives' heads, but aren't on paper, mm-hmm. right? 
and putting policies and procedures in written form that anyone can access in the company helps eliminate a lot of risk. And that's what investors are looking at. They're looking at the companies that actually take these steps, that go through these frameworks, are eliminating risk in their organizations so that they know if they're going to go in and invest in these companies, that they're going to have a better investment, right? That, that you know, a candy company that goes out and does a B Corp certification or a SASB report is going to be a, a lot less of a risk to invest in than a candy company that doesn't do any of that work. Hmm. Interesting. And for you, just having looked at um, and worked with a lot of organizations, because you manage a lot of their their um, ledgers, where have you found ESG and impact to show up in the balance sheet? Oh yeah, there is some really direct bottom line gains. Um, so we can take you know a lot take take some very simple examples where um, you know you can have a wine company shave just a few grams of weight off of their wine bottle. And now that wine bottle is just a little bit more sustainable. But then again, they're also paying for less glass. They are now these bottles weigh less so that the shipments of an overall case weighs less, which means you're going to have less shipping costs. And while that seems small, when you add that up, it really does hit. Um, you know, when you have a company that works in, in this kind of impact and sustainable way, you have uh, less turnover, your attrition rate starts to go down. And we all know the average cost for replacing an employee is about $50,000 per employee. So when you think about that, lowering that attrition rate, uh, you know, that is going to be a huge impact on your bottom line, um, footprint. Right. So we're, we're talking about carbon footprints and probably the biggest one um, is your literal office footprint. And a lot of companies now, their employees are working hybrid or they're working remote full time. So maybe they don't need offices that are as big as they used to. So a lot of companies, I know ours included, have, you know, shut down some offices because all the employees that work out of that office are fully remote now. Or maybe they're shrinking their office footprint which means, you know, one, less of your carbon footprint, which means you're going to have to buy less offsets. Also, it means that, you know, your rent is going to go down. Um, so it's all of these little things that you can do that it really helps, um, you know, uh, your bottom line. Um, doing a check of your, your company's website and seeing how much energy it uses. People don't think about the amount of energy a website uses um, and just kind of going through the back end and kind of cleaning it up so it uses less energy. Um, so your energy bill is going to be less. Um, you know, there's just all these different things where you can um, put solar on your building with a battery pack. Um, this is this is a huge one right now. Um, because we've got the the new Inflation Reduction Act that just mm -hmm. came out, mm -hmm. um, you can actually get a lot, ton of tax rebates and credits for doing solar on your building, adding a battery pack, which is fantastic for anybody who has to deal with um, these rolling brownouts, blackouts, um, and particularly for manufacturers who now have control over when they turn off their line so that they're not using product, uh, losing product or it will help them mitigate the pricing surge. So they can start in the mornings off of the grid 
um, when when pricing is low, and then in the afternoons when the when the surge happens in the electricity price, they can set their timer to start pulling off of their battery pack from their solar array. Mm -hmm. So now you've mitigated that electricity surge, mm -hmm. and that is a huge um, cost reduction. So there's lots of different things that will help that bottom line. Very helpful. Thanks for breaking it down for us. Um, and of course, every business is going to be different, but those examples are incredibly helpful to see how different businesses are doing it um, and where it affects the balance sheet. We were talking a little bit before the show, Jennifer, about carbon offsets. Mm -hmm. And um, if I'm an organization that says, you know, I don't want to change my products, I want to cut my costs, I, you know, I, I'm already using solar, but is that enough? Like, what? What are carbon offsets and how have you, I guess, best seen them be effective? So I always like to use offsets as the last resort, right? Um, I always try to, um, you know, shrink or mitigate whatever, whatever is attributing to that footprint. Um, but there's some things that you just, you can't, you can't turn off your computer servers that are using energy, right? So you're, you're going to have to, there's going to be something there. And then, then you can go to offsets. And offsets are basically um, you're buying credits that will um, say plant trees and the amount of those trees and the amount of sequestering that those trees do offsets the amount of uh, CO2 that you're putting back into the atmosphere. So you're trying to rebalance that out, right? Um, where it kind of gets a little controversial is that our planet's only so big and you can only plant so many trees. <laughs> um, so at some point, we're going to run out of space to plant trees to offset things. So um, we really do need to mitigate um, if we're going to try to uh, fix this climate change problem at all. Um, and I could I could get on a whole soapbox about that. <laughs> But essentially, you're you're basically buying something that is going to offset what you're uh, what you're doing uh, for your carbon footprint. And I will say, when you go to purchase offsets, do your research. Um, you know, uh, if if you're just looking for um, you know a, a quick list, you can go to One Percent for the Planet, and they have a great list of folks that are are trusted. Um, it, you know, Bonneville Environmental Foundation is a great offset company um you know give them a shout out um but you know really do your research make sure that when you're buying these credits the money actually goes to what those credits are for um so there's lots of lots of stuff popping up where you know a little scammy so be careful just like donating to a nonprofit um and you want to research that your money is going to the the cause of that nonprofit um you know do your little research on carbon credits and where and 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 what's fun is that you can you can really make an impact in your local community. There's great um, great offsets. So I know right after the the devastating fires in Australia, um, when we bought all our offsets for the next year, we made sure that all of the trees that were planted were in Australia. Mm. You know, and so that really that really gave the employees and the company a sense of action in the world, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that it really helps uh, employees feel more satisfied in the company they work for. Um, and when employees are more satisfied, uh, their product productivity goes up, which is always good for the bottom line. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Well, well, Jennifer, just want to appreciate you coming on the show today, taking time to be here um, and give our audience really a, a breakdown on the fundamentals of sustainability and accounting purposes. Um, my question for you now pertains to leadership. What are some of the qualities of the leaders um, that are, are taking initiative and really do see a value in, um, you know, being in business to also or being in business and just being aware that it represents more than just the bottom line. Like what are some of those qualities of the leaders that you work with? Right. Um, empathy, hugely empathetic. Um, you know, when they look at making their business decisions, they don't use a, you know, what's good for the bottom line as the main driver for their business decisions. Um, they take all stakeholders into account. They look at this and say, okay, we make this business decision. How is this going to affect our employees? How is this going to impact our customers? How is this going to, you know, do harm to the planet with this business decision? Um, and really just being empathetic and looking at it from all angles. I think that's that's what a good leader does these days, is really looking at the impact of those business decisions as greater than the bottom line. Jennifer, in all of this, what is your definition of a real leader? Oh. Great question. Definition of a real leader. Um, a real leader, I says, empathetic. They're humble. They're um, open-minded mm. and looking for innovation. Mm. You know, um, and just being kind. Being kind to the planet. Being kind to everyone around them. Well put for Jennifer Quintero. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be open-minded, and always, folks, keep it real. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.